Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Originally, uh, Mark Schulman was planned to be on the show, but he's on a flight as we speak. So uh, Andy's going to be on the show today and look forward to our conversation. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is Professor Emeritus at the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Follow the Leader, and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. It is July the 12th, and on this day in 1984, Walter Mondale, the leading Democratic presidential candidate, announced he had chosen Representative Geraldine Ferraro of New York as his running mate. She's the daughter of a... Uh, Italian immigrants had previously gained recognition as a vocal advocate of women's rights in Congress. She became the first female vice presidential candidate to represent a major political party. Uh, For four days after Farrell was named vice presidential candidate, Governor Mario Cuomo of New York opened the Democratic National Convention in San Francisco with an impassioned retort to Republican President Ronald Reagan's contention that the United States was a shining city on the hill. Citing widespread poverty, racial strife, Cuomo derided President Reagan as an obvious, to, oblivious to the needs and problems of many American citizens. His enthusiastic keynote address inaugurated a convention that saw Furrow become the first woman nominated by a major party for the vice presidency. However, Mondale, the former vice president under Jimmy Carter, proved a lackluster choice for the Democratic presidential nominee. On November the 6th, President Reagan and Vice President George Bush defeated the Mondale ticket uh, in the greatest Republican landslide in U.S. history, the Republicans carried every state but Minnesota, which, which was uh, Mondale's home state. Ferraro left Congress in 1985. In 1992 and 98, she made an unsuccessful bid for a U.S. Senate seat. During uh, President Clinton's administration, she was a permanent member of the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. She died in 2011 at only age 75. Geraldine Ferraro. Vice President Kamala, speaking of vice presidents, Vice President Kamala Harris quipped that she will now have to stop agreeing to take on many, some more responsibilities from the president amid criticism of her handling of the southern border crisis and claims of her office is plagued by fighting. After 19 minutes into a 20-minute interview with Bet, the air Friday uh, that aired Friday, broadcaster Soledad O'Brien rattled off Harris's major undertakings. She said immigration, increasing border broadband access, black uh, maternal mortality, racial inequality, women of the workforce, infrastructure. We just talked about voting rights. That seems like a lot for one person, O'Brien said to Harris. Can one person do all that realistically, she asked. Harris had responded. She said she multitasked and admit there's a lot to get done. Then she jokingly said, yeah, maybe I don't uh, say no enough. And then she cackled, as she usually does. But I do believe that those things are achievable. It's just a lot of hard work, but that's why we're here. That's what people want, right, Tara said. We go into uh, these positions that we arrive in these positions, and we will work hard and get things done, and that's what motivates me truly, she said. 
I'm not sure how she would know that. I don't think I've never seen evidence that she's done anything, quite frankly. But uh, maybe because I'm focused on the border and she's done nothing in that regard. <clears throat> Nevertheless, uh, our vice president, uh, Cackle Harris. Thousands of Cubans took to the streets in multiple Cuban cities on Sunday to protest its communist dictatorship and demand its end. CBS Miami reports that civil unrest has boiled over due to the COVID-19 pandemic, with protesters chanting, we are not afraid, as they call for more food and vaccines. We're not going to hand over the sovereignty or the independence of the people, said Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel in an address to his citizens. There are many revolutionaries in this country who are willing to give our lives, and we are willing to do anything, and we will be in the streets fighting. Miami Herald reports that Cuba is in the midst of its worst economic contraction since the end of the Cold War. Uh, they contribute chronic inefficiencies and paralyzing bureaucracy, decimated essential food and agriculture sectors. Rising inflation has also led to long lines for food. Sanctions for the Trump administration reduced Cuba's access to foreign investment and remittances that exacerbated uh, fiscal realities exposed further by COVID-19. We've never seen anything like it before, Republican Pre Representative Maria Elvera Salazar wrote on Twitter. The Cuban people are determined to be free. Tens of thousands of people are protesting at this very moment. The regime is shutting off the Internet on the island, she continued. The Castro dictatorship doesn't want the world to see what's happening. Republican Senator and Cuban-American Marco Rubio also took to Twitter writing, Frustration with the dictatorship's incompetence, greed, and repression is mounting rapidly. Maybe we're coming to the end of the Castro regime and of the uh, dictatorship in Cuba. It would be a wonderful thing. I'd love to see the Cuban people become free. Well, in the midst of tragedy, here's a story that is unbelievable, really. It's a miracle. A 15-year-old boy who miraculously survived the Miami condo collapse was sitting in his bedroom next to his mother when the building gave way and she was killed, according to a lawsuit filed by the family. Jonna Handler, who found, uh, was found alive hours after the 12-story oceanfront building collapsed on June the 24th, though his mother, Stacy Fang, 54, died after she was rushed to the hospital. Miami-Dade County Mayor uh, Daniela Levine-Cava on Sunday announced that the death toll had risen to 90, up from 86 the day before. Among them are 71 bodies that have been identified and their families have been notified, she said. Some 31 people remain listed as missing. Their free fell to what they thought was a certain death, the lawsuit filed on July the 8th and in the uh, circuit court in uh, Miami. Miami-Dade. <clears throat> Amazing that the young boy would survive falling all that distance of free fall and survived. Well, if you didn't see the uh, yesterday, pre former President Donald Trump gave a, a fantastic speech at CPAC <clears throat> in uh, Dallas. It was a, just a terrific speech. He says, Biden has broken every this country into a brink of ruin, he said. Trump told a packed house at the three-day CPAC conference. <clears throat> Even right here in Texas, we are in the epicenter of a border and migration crisis unlike anything anyone has ever seen before in the history of our country. At the same time, they've totally obliterated your energy industry. Under my administration, we achieved a historic reduction in illegal immigration. We ended the horrible catch and release where we catch a criminal and just release him into our country. We actually said, nope. It's called Stay in Mexico, he said. 
I worked very well, and, uh, and it had support of Mexico. We reduced drugs pouring across our border by the highest percentage ever in the history of our country. We shut down the migrant caravans. We dealt a crippling blow to MS-13. We deported criminal aliens by the thousands and thousands, and we built almost 500 miles of border wall. Uh, Biden's border crisis, he said, is helping drive in an unprecedented crime wave. The bloodshed and violence in these cities is reaching epidemic proportions, he said. Homicides are up 42% in Los Angeles, 37% in Philadelphia, 68% in Atlanta, and over 500% in Portland over this time last year. In New York City, crime is out of control, and it's at record levels with nobody being prosecuted except, of course, innocent Republicans who are being prosecuted. Of course, I'm making reference to his own prosecution, uh, which is just horrific. He also hit Democrats for their stances on law enforcement, gun rights, critical race theory, election laws, and even some, and more. They are hard at work to abolish the First Amendment as well, he said. Of course, earlier in the week, he uh, filed this class action lawsuit, which I think apparently everybody at CPAC joined in on the lawsuit. I know my wife did when he was giving the speech about it, about the lawsuit. The actions are being supported by America First Policy Institute, headed by former Trump official Linda McMahon and Brooke Rollins, who introduced Trump as the, announce, uh, the announcement. <clears throat> the speech at CPAC event was Trump's second address to a group since he left office. We celebrate our rich heritage and national traditions. We honor George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and all of our national heroes, he said. And, of course, we always respect our great American flag. This was a barn burner speech. He just did an absolutely great job yesterday. The speech was an hour, and at least an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes, and watched uh, every minute of it. It was just absolutely fantastic. Congratulations to uh, President Donald Trump. Well, four people have been arrested and more than a dozen weapons and hundreds of rounds of ammunition have been seized at a downtown Denver hotel that is close to several events planned in conjunction with the upcoming Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Officials responded to a tip search, searched two rooms at the Maven Hotel, a block from Coors Field on Friday night. Three men and a woman in their 40s were arrested and two vehicles were impounded for searched, uh, to be searched for evidence. Uh, the recovered weapons included several rifles, a law enforcement official said. So far, investigators have not only found any, they haven't not found any evidence to suggest that the group was plotting a mass shooting or other similar attack, the office said, while cautioning that the investigation is still in its early stages. The official could not discuss the matter publicly, of course, because it's an investigation going on. So uh, it looks like a, a bullet dodged to uh, mix metaphors a little bit, but uh, this is a good thing. And uh, thank goodness the maid called the uh, uh, law enforcement officers and uh, put an end to what might be a horrific situation at the All-Star Game. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get people off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the great initiatives. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa. He's a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Hey, I just want to acknowledge you wrote a great column, which I posted on my website. Uh, correct, it's under, correct me if I'm wrong, The Educational Clash of Civilizations. More inf- just new information I had never, did not know this stuff. It was so interesting. Well, I think there is a tremendous amount of information and awareness of China that is not part of the American debate at this point. But let me start out with with my good news for today, which I, has become my pattern. Uh, watching President Trump at uh, CPAC in Texas, I, I thought his presentation was excellent. He looked strong. His reception was, uh, was I think, uh, fantastic. Uh, his, uh, his challenge to uh, defeat critical race theory and Marxism, I thought, was the appropriate tone of, of, of that presentation. So uh, it was impressive, and uh, it, it leaves me with, uh, with a, a significant level of hope for the uh, 2022 elections and certainly the 2024 elections, Bob. You know what? There's little doubt of who's the leader of the party right now. I mean, he just has such command. I watched every minute of the presentation. I think it was as long as an hour and 45 minutes. He yes. didn't pull any punches. He just left it all on the on the field, didn't he? 
It, it is it is so good to see that kind of, of openness and I'm going to call it transparency. It's a, a rare commodity in the American political debate right now. It's uh, almost entirely the, the Donald Trump style. And uh, certainly I think that uh, if, if we can go in those directions, whether it's Donald Trump or someone replicating the model of Donald Trump, I don't know who that would be, Bob. Uh, I think we, uh, we, can, we can emerge from this uh, successfully. But uh, if we stay in our current model, I think there's very little chance that we will, we will survive. And I'll, I'll bring that point up again when I talk about uh, China in a few minutes. Yeah, so, so I just to also to acknowledge uh, our governor, Ron DeSantis, in the uh, straw poll that they conducted, uh, if, in fact, uh, they asked the question if, in fact, President Trump doesn't run for the uh, 2024. DeSantis was the clear leader in that regard. I mean, he had 70 per 68 percent of the vote, I think it was. So uh, our, just to point out the popularity, and I think the good judgment. He's certainly not in the style of Donald Trump, but he certainly makes great decisions. Yeah, yeah I think we have these, these two excellent uh, uh, potential leaders. One already has filled himself, Donald Trump. The other, DeSantis, in the, in the state, at the state level, DeSantis, I think that Trump has probably made the decision, as he's indicated, whether he'll run in 2024. I think he's not making that announcement because I don't think uh, he wants to necessarily steal the uh, any kind of thunder from DeSantis at this point. I think uh, President Trump recognizes that the future is yet to be written, and uh, he may not run. And I think he does not want to weaken DeSantis, as he sees, in my opinion, uh, he sees uh, Ron DeSantis. His logical successor in the presidency, Bob. You know, that makes a lot of sense, Andy. I, what I thought, and I, I could be wrong about this, I thought there could have been some uh, regulations and rules that kick in for elections once he makes the announcement. So I thought that might be what he was putting off and looking for the right time. But, uh, and you know, your, your uh, explanation sounds more plausible. Well, it's it's hard to say, but uh, you know, again, I think we uh, we are fortunate at this point to have two such uh, potential leaders. Uh, one, again, as I say, already having fulfilled himself, and the other on on the on the way in, hopefully. Uh, but again, it, uh, the future looks bright with either one of those people emerging in 2024. L let me just make a point uh, about this, uh, this uh, what I regard as the absurd pushback against the uh, Pfizer-Israeli findings on the Pfizer vaccine. Both Pfizer and Israel have determined that after about six months, the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine weakens dramatically. They've documented this both in the Pfizer laboratories and in the, uh, in the Israeli clinical studies of the Pfizer vaccine. Yet, in America, Fauci and the CDC are both, with absolutely no scientific basis, uh, rejecting Pfizer's own claims about its vaccine and huh. the Israeli findings clinically about that vaccine. It seems to be, again, other, another situation, Bob, where they're so dedicated uh, to everyone getting vaccinated that they are reluctant to acknowledge Pfizer and the Israeli position because they believe it will suppress the willingness of Americans to get vaccinated to start with. So, again, I think we've seen a, a long series of moments where, uh, where uh, Fauci and the CDC have acted in every possible manner to try to ensure that not only vulnerable populations in America get vaccinated, but even young infants get vaccinated at this point, Bob. That is so interesting. You know, I uh, read a letter to the editor in the Naples Daily News on Sunday, and the gist of it was this. Both my husband and I got COVID, and uh, we uh, went to get tested, and we asked whether it was the new strain, the uh, uh, Delta strain, or Delta, whether, yeah. and uh, they said, well, we have no way to know that. 
<laughs> That's what yeah, they I mean, don't. Look, there, there are going to be these unknowns, and viruses are of that nature. Their uh, their mutating process leads in, in in generally unknown directions, and uh, I think that the question is is an open question continuously. It's always been that way with viruses. So uh, I think we have to get back to uh, to living. I think the uh, the implications of the Delta variant are are not significant in terms of of symptomatic response, and the the mortality rate is very low. Although it is more contagious. At least that's been pretty well documented. But again, the implication of it is far less significant than the original COVID-19 strain. Bob. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the implication I was suggesting is that if they have no way of being able to test whether it's the Delta variant or not, then how do they know there's a Delta variant? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yes. So, so I'm, I'm, what know, I'm there, doing, there I'm, are many questions. And, and again, I think, unfortunately, <clears throat> what we're looking at is... Uh, certainly, uh, we, we've uh, rejected the integrity of the media and most of our political figures. And I think right now, uh, unfortunately, we're beginning to uh, throw serious doubt on the positions of what we would call American science. And I think w- once that happens, I think it's a very dangerous thing to happen. I don't think it's inappropriate based on the uh, the the circumstances that have existed over the past year, Bob. Yeah, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute. He's in, uh, director of health studies, and I said, you know, my uh, my. Uh, Respect for and belief in uh, the public health officials has dropped dramatically. And he said, well, you probably should have never had that faith in, in them in the first place, <laughs> he said, <laughs> which just kind of speaks volumes. In other words, uh, I'm learning what he's already known for a long time. Well, I, I think Americans have always tried to uh, accept the uh, integrity of the authority figures, whether it's military, political, economic. Uh, and yet, and I think that has been our intent to uh, presume that these are our leaders and they should be respected and their ideas cons- well considered. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I think the last year and a half or so have clearly documented the absolute, forget that word absolute, the, the relative lack of integrity demonstrated at all levels of institutional American life, Bob. No question, indeed. So, Andy, uh, uh, are you ready to talk a little bit about your column? Because I don't want to let that get away from us. It was so fascinating. Yes, I, I, I'd like to talk about, about China. I think that the most pressing problem of all the problems that America is facing right now is, uh, is China and the, the future as it unfolds between uh, China and, and, uh, and the United States of America right now. Um, I let me start someplace that will be, I think, unusual for your audience to hear. Uh, I've taught international marketing and international management for uh, for several decades now. One of the books that I use uh, a considerable amount of usage is called The Asian Mind Game. And The Asian Mind Game deals with the mindset of the Asian, which is primarily a Chinese mindset. Uh, the main point they bring out in this book is something called Bing Fa, B-I-N-G, F-A, that's the Anglo- anglicized version of the Chinese, Bing Fa. Let me give you an example of what Bing Fa is, Bob. Uh, Sun Tzu, the art of war, Sun Tzu's art of war is a Bing Fa. In other words, Bing Fa is the generic term for strategic thinking, most typically deceptive thinking. Bing Fa is integrated, completely integrated into the cultural mindset of the Asian, uh, and particularly the Chinese, but again, the Japanese mindset, the Korean mindset, almost the entire mindset of Asia is built around this concept of being far, which is active deception. Uh, and I think right now, for example, I will get to my pieces uh, specifically in a second. 
but the feedback on my pieces is good. But almost everyone includes the general weakness of the Chinese. Very few people talk about the comparative strength of the Chinese and the United States. And that is an essential concept of being far, that the only thing that matters is the comparative strength. So what my, my readers and many of the, the, the commentators point out is the weakness of China, the weakness of China demographically, not producing enough children, the, uh, the aging uh, problem of China, where it's a, it's a rapidly aging population, the, mm -hmm. uh, the problem with the Western provinces, the problems with Hong Kong, uh, the, the, the problems of secession once Z is, is out of the picture and so forth. Very few people deal directly with whether or not the United States is, in fact, a worthy adversary for China as China continues to uh, develop its resources economically and uh, militarily uh, going into the future. And if we have to rely on the failure of our enemy, in this case, China, rather than on our own success, we will lose, Bob. That's it right. Is, it is that simple. So right now, <laughs> with China being uh, pursuing a process of meritocracy, that is the essence of it. Let me, let me stop a moment there, Bob, and just add why the meritocracy is an essential uh, component of the, of the Chinese model. Meritocracy comes out of essentially the, <clears throat> the model developed by uh, <clears throat> um, Ali Kuan Yew, the founding father of Singapore. The founding father of Singapore, Li, was also the major advisor to Deng Xiaoping and is also the major advisor to Xi in current China. His model is simple. Democracy will not work in China as it did not work and would not work in Singapore. And the essence of a successful society in Asia is a meritocracy. So what we're seeing in China right now, Bob, is the, the emergence of a, uh, a Lee-based philosophy, which, is, and again, he's been very influential in China, uh, and that, that philosophy is built around meritocracy and the fulfillment of strategic deception as, as, as uh, suggested by, by Bing Fa uh, in many writings, and it is an essential part of the Chinese culture. The things I've just talked about are almost never brought to bear in terms of the discussion of modern China. We try to almost, no, forget almost, we think of China in a Western model. China is not Western. China does not aspire to be Western. China aspires to be China. And after 2,000 years, China, I believe at this moment, sees that this is their moment in the sun. And if the United States cannot get its, its act together, and that is dubious, I think it goes back to our earlier discussion with the uh, reemergence of Trump or perhaps DeSantis, if we cannot get our stuff together, then I think China will emerge victorious, if not in the immediate uh, uh, short term, then certainly in the in, in the long run, I think China is going to win this battle, Bob. That is so interesting. So, uh, you know, I would suggest that there are people, for example, in Hong Kong that are uh, crying out for freedom. They want Western-style freedom from the United, like the United States, for example. So I think there is evidence that, in fact, they don't just necessarily want to go along to get along. You see, by the way, <laughs> what's happening in Cuba right now is so interesting as well. So I think, in its essence, most people want to be free. And uh, right now, they, they're seeing tremendous oppression in, in China from the Communist well, that's, Chinese that's Party. Western of you, Bob. Um, I think Hong Kong, certainly under the, the English uh, uh, nomination for 100 years, 
certainly became more Western in its in its thought process yep. than the rest of China. So to presume that the general statement of people want to be free uh, is a uh, is a Western thought. I, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with that thought. Right. I'm just suggesting it is not an Asian thought. Uh, if you look at the mindset that was that was used by Lee Kuan Yew, again the founder of Singapore and the major influence on China, it totally avoids that concept as being inappropriate and unnecessary. Democracy will not work, Lee says. Uh, Xi agrees with that. Deng Xiaoping ag agreed with that. What they need, though, is a very healthy meritocracy. But again, freedom is a, uh, as a dominating factor is not part of that Asian mindset, Bob. That is so interesting, uh, Andy. Um, so uh, what, I, what I was struck by when I read the column is the fact that there is weakness in China, and they have a lot of different problems that they're dealing with, and they've got a very small uh, Communist Chinese party who are directing the activities of 1.4 billion people, uh, a small percentage of, of the people are, are, are in the party. So, I, I mean, I think there's real vulnerability if people get uh, disenchanted with what's going on. Well, I'm going to use you as my foil, if you allow me this, Bob. Um, if we look back, for example, at the emergence of the Bolsheviks in 1917, uh, certainly the, it was pointed out how, how limited they were in number, how fragile their, their strength was in the emerging Soviet Union. And yet, and certainly that, there was that, that weakness, but it took 75 years to manifest itself. Mm -hmm. So, yes, these predictions of, of vulnerability based on weakness, they were there. Same thing happened with the emergence of the Nazi Party in 1933 in, uh, in, in Germany. Uh, the predictions of their weakness, their limited strength in terms of the population at that point, <clears throat> all were, were true. But they didn't matter, Bob. So I think we're looking at perhaps, and again, it's always a perhaps in these kind of discussions, we're looking at a, a, a circumstance of a comparable nature. If we look at what uh, China has done uh, in terms of just at this moment, let's just take the economic movement of, of China. In 1980, uh, China's gross domestic product was less than $300 billion. By 2015, it was, excuse me, $11 trillion. Hmm. In 1980, uh, China's trade with the outside world was less than $40 billion. By 2015, it had increased a hundredfold to $4 trillion. For every two-year period since 2008, the increment of growth in China has been larger than the entire economy of India. Even hmm. at the lower growth rate in, in 2015, Bob, China's economy created a new Greece or a new Israel every 25 weeks. Now, again, those are just numbers, but they matter, Bob. We're looking at a, a, an economy that has, has surged forward at a rate that never would have been expected by anyone in the West. So when I hear the West predictions or analysis of the, of the Chinese phenomenon, I, I take all of that with a grain of salt. They have been wrong at every step of the process. If we look at the Chinese educational uh, advancement, which I pointed out in my, my second blog, uh, uh, in 2015, the PI, PISA test, which is the uh, program for international student assessment, China rack, ranked sixth in, sixth in mathematics, while the United States ranked 39th. Hmm. China's score was well above the OEC average, while the U.S. score was significantly below. Uh, in terms of the number of PhDs being turned out by China in the science, technology, engineering, and math area, 
a dramatic difference, a threefold difference in favor of China. And I could go on and on, both with the economic numbers and the, the educational numbers. And this is not, Bob, to extol the virtues of China, but it is to suggest that the West, uh, as it's predicted, a, a weak China, a, a China that could not uh, perform successfully in the global economy, they've done so, both uh, both economically and the contribution of their of, of their STEM contributions from a uh, rapidly accelerating high quality educational system uh, have both been totally outside uh, the predictions of Western analysis. Yeah, just uh, those figures and statistics are staggering and and, sh and uh, shocking, actually. So, where's all this going to go? Do you think? <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, I think the United States is ultimately the determining factor as compared to the comments from from my readers and what I'm reading from other commentators who who see the 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 uh, China's weakness as being the primary factor. I, I don't see that as being the case at all. Uh, for example, let's just talk about the area of uh, not enough. Uh, uh, babies being born. China could mandate that that happens. They, they have that kind of autocratic control. They could require more children. So uh, the, the issues facing China can all be handled. Hong Kong can be handled. The Western provinces can be handled. So I think China will, in fact, handle their problems as they've done so over the past 30 years. Where the issue lies and the future lies is in the United States. And, and again, I would suggest if we stay in this a politically correct uh, commitment to uh, diversity, not built around merit. Uh, I think we're looking at an America that will not be able to compete with China. So uh, to me, the, the, the future is America's if America makes the right choices over the next few years. Um, I don't think we have much more time than the next few years. If we look at just one uh, concept from Bing Fa, getting back to the Bing Fa concept, uh, it says essentially when your enemy is weak, attack. Now, the attack does not necessarily mean a military attack. Right. It can mean a, a, a significant assault on the economy or, as we perhaps have just seen, uh, a biologic attack through the uh, intentional or the willful allowance of the impact of COVID-19. Uh, so I think we're looking at, we have to keep in mind that uh, our thinkers are primarily tactical. If we look at our United States military, our military is trained to be tacticians, not strategy-based. Strategy That's true across the vast expanse of our society. China is strategic. The United States is tactical. Unless we can move into more of a strategical alignment and understand the future as it's unfolding in reality, not as we would wish it, Bob, then I think China will emerge victorious. But Getting back to my major point, optimistically, the United States controls the outcome of this competition if we do the right thing, Bob. Andy, so well said. I, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to my website, bobharden.com, and check out uh, your column uh, under, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a pull-down tab at the top of the uh, website. You'll find The Educational Clash of Civilizations by Andrew Joppa. Really interesting read. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is a President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show 
here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app from the uh, website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim Tegg, former uh, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the uh, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. So uh, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We work with young people of high school and college age, trying to educate and inspire them on ideas of private property, free enterprise, uh, small government, personal responsibility, and character. And we do that through our uh, very robust website, fee.org, and also through events around uh, the country and sometimes abroad. So we have some, a topic to talk about today, but I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have a young person in your life, no matter where they live in the United States or around the world, at high school or college age, introduce them to fee.org, F-E-E.org. It really has a positive impact on every young person I've talked to. So, Larry, uh, you highlighted Edgar Guest, the people's poet, and I think I actually remember uh, Edgar Guest from my childhood. I think it was syndicated in some of the newspapers around the Washington, D.C. area. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Yes, I'm sure you can remember him, Bob, because uh, he passed away only in 1959 when you were still uh, a relatively young boy, but probably reading newspapers. 
Right. He was syndicated in more than 300 newspapers. He was a poet, uh, originally from Birmingham, England, but he moved to the United States with his family uh, at the age of 10, and uh, born in 1881 in England and died in 1959. He became so popular as America's uh, uh, favorite poet that he enjoyed lots of uh, awards for it and uh, was, was much loved. Uh, when he died <clears throat> at the age of 77. Yeah, wasn't our poet laureate, I guess, but, uh, you know, I think what he was also espoused uh, the beliefs of uh, uh, making America great again, so to speak. In other words, being uh, really grounded in patriotism. Yes, he was. Uh, in fact, uh, one of his many collections of poetry is uh, v- uh, easily available now on Amazon called Poems of Patriotism. And in a recent column I wrote about him, I excerpted uh, one of those poems. And it, it's uh, inspirational. Some would say that it's a little simple because it's the old style of uh, rhyming verse. These days, you know, a lot of people who fancy themselves as poets don't think that anything has to rhyme. <laughs> but I grew up with uh, uh, that kind of poetry that did rhyme, and so I especially appreciate Edgar Guest. Yeah, you know... Uh, growing up, uh, I, I tolerated learning b- about poetry. <laughs> I, yeah. can't, I can't say that I ever embraced it at all, but uh, uh, some of it was quite good, and uh, others, well, not so good, in my opinion. But uh, c- could you give us an example of uh, what he wrote? Okay. Uh, one of my favorites of his is called The Time for Deeds, D-E-E-D-E-E-D-S, yeah, Deeds. And... Um, uh, it was written a hundred years ago, a little more than a hundred years ago, with World War I as the background. But I think if you uh, uh, insert it into today's issues and background, you would think it has uh, just as much application. So here it goes, the time for deeds. We have boasted our courage in moments of ease, our star-spangled banner we've flung on the breeze. We have taught men to cheer for its beauty and worth and have called it the flag of the bravest on earth. Now the dark days are here. We must stand to the test. O God, let us prove we are true to our best. We have drunk to our flag, and we've talked of the right. We've challenged oppression to show us its might. We have strutted for years through the world as a race that for God and for country, earth's tyrants would face. Now the gauge is flung down, hate is loosed in the world. O God, shall our flag in dishonor be furled? We have said we are brave, we have preached of the truth, we have walked in the conceit of the strength of our youth, we have mocked at the ramparts and guns of the foe, as though we believed we could laugh them all low. Now oppression has struck, we are challenged to fight. O God, let us prove we can stand for the right. If in honor and glory our flag is to wave, if we are to keep this the land of the brave, if more than fine words are to fashion our creeds, now must our hands and our hearts turn to deeds. We are challenged by tyrants our strength to reveal. O God, let us prove that our courage is real. Uh, really interesting. And so, you know, it, it is timeless in the sense that these are exactly the same issues it feels to me that we're facing today. Yeah. Yeah, it's timeless. Uh, I think maybe, in fact, he intended it to be so. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mention World War One in particular, but 
Uh, he must have known that it would apply to almost any time the nation faces serious challenges. Uh, a strong voice indeed, and he was prolific, if I recall. He wrote poetry in just about every week. He had a, a syndicated column. So, uh, again, Larry, just generally appreciate this. It's called Edgar's Guest, Edgar Guest, the People's Poet. And uh, I, I don't know, is it pu published on fee? Uh, no, this is published at uh, <coughs> El American. Uh, I write for them. But if anybody goes to my website, lawrencewre.com, uh, they'll find it in the uh, blog entries. LawrenceWRE.com. Again, uh, the website, uh, Larry, and Fee, please introduce uh, Fee to uh, FEE.org uh, to your people, high school and college age in your, in your life. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mysteries uh, located in Washington, D.C. The first is Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of several books. His two latest, uh, Murder Mysteries, 
follow the leader and shake the money tree. Two great murder mystery reads. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Uh, I think uh, you're actually in Florida are going to be uh, cooler today than we are in the, I've moved from uh, inside the Beltway to Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, where, where it'll be about 93 or 4 degrees today. Unbelievable. What's happening out west? My goodness, 130 degrees in the desert out there, and 117, I think I read, in, in uh, Las Vegas. I mean, it's a real a troubling heat wave, and I think there's fires that have already started. Uh, yes, every time it rains here, and it's been raining frequently, I haven't had to water the lawn in, in over a week. Uh, I thank God for the uh, uh, the rain uh, when I read about what's happening out west. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to sound like a, an old song here. Uh, I always encourage your listeners to pay attention to what's going on in the world. And there is no good American news site for for understanding uh, what's going on because we don't do a, a a good job of reporting international news so i have to go to sites like uh, the bbc uh, i have to do google searches like you know what's going on in afghanistan who are the taliban to figure out the geopolitical implications of the u.s removal of troops from afghanistan because as an individual I'm, I really don't grasp it, and uh, the answer is out there if you look. Yeah, and I would I would encourage your listeners the first Google search they do if they're really interested in this topic is um, who are the Taliban BBC and an, an article pops up and it's a uh, it's like a three minute read about the history of the Taliban, hmm. uh, which actually w- uh, was educated by the Saudi Arabians at madrasas in Pakistan. Hmm. So they come from Pakistan. Uh, they hid from the U.S. in Pakistan. They caused problems in Pakistan, and the Pakistani army killed about 1,200 of them in in Pashtun areas in 2014, and the leadership went into Afghanistan. Uh, Pashtun is a language spoken in tribal areas of Pakistan and in most of the large cities. And so the Taliban insurgency uh, in in the future poses a grave threat uh, to Pakistan. And, um, you know, I... I'm not particularly interested in Pakistan. I think they knew that Osama bin Laden was hiding out in their country for years, and they helped hide him. Uh, They're not good allies of the U.S. They're uh, buccaneers, uh, you know, who like to squeeze the uh, U.S. for aid dollars. So, um, but be that as it may, uh, it really increases the tinder block, tinder box. condition of of that area of the world and i mean it, it uh, if a world war begins it could it could be in that region yeah i mean uh, they they have a nuclear weapon as i uh, they have nuclear weapons as i recall and uh, as does india so uh, and yeah, if i'm not mistaken that's where we found osama bin laden in uh, pakistan didn't we uh yes yeah my, my point is i think the pakistani military hid uh, Osama bin Laden. His compound was right down the road yeah. from the Pakistani equivalent of West Point, 
you know, it's just uh, beyond the credibility that that uh, they did not know he was there. All right. Shocking stuff. I mean, uh, world. Uh, I don't know if you ever read uh, uh, what is it, uh, Henry Adams. Uh, autobiography, but it was so interesting because he was American diplomat. He was the brother of uh, uh, the president of the United States and uh, the second president of the United States. In any event, uh, shocking had the duplicity of diplomacy and how uh, diplomacy and, uh, works around the world. And I think it's tr- it was true then, and it's true today. Yeah, uh, what's interesting uh, with the Taliban, and, and, and you have to assume that the. Um, uh, they're going to sweep Afghanistan and, and uh, maybe within a year have control of the country. Uh, they're already um, approaching China and asking for aid. I think the Chinese uh, will relent and finance them because uh, the, the uh, Afghanistan is not that far uh, from the, the Uyghur areas of China. Huh. You know, and I think China is very much afraid that the Taliban will become active in regions of China if they don't pay this bribe. So that so that kind of financing will give the Taliban uh, access to billions of dollars, which uh, increases its threat to uh, the rest of the world. So, Jim, if I may, just take a step back in this conversation. You opened the, our, our discussion with the fact that you get take a look at news around the world. Do you have uh, outlets that you uh, particularly like to look at when uh, you want to find out what's happening? I look at them all with a a skeptic's eye. Ah. Uh, The BBC, of course, but but keep in mind that the BBC is controlled by the British government. But I I would say, uh, by and large, it's a a pretty uh, accurate purveyor of what's going on around the globe. Hmm. Uh, I look at Al Jazeera, and keeping in mind that it's, uh, I think it's a uh, cutter uh, finance. Is it, you know, so so uh, that you know the uh, the sheiks who run Al Jazeera have a vested interest in uh, twisting the news, but um, it gives you again a strong flavor of what's going on in the Middle East. Looking at stories uh, that that are not covered uh, elsewhere. Hmm. Um, Do you ever look at the Daily uh, Mail? Oh, one more. There's a paper in Pakistan called Dawn, D-A-W-N. It's English language. I think it's pretty fair uh, picture of what's going on inside Pakistan, which is a very large, com- or a very populated, complex country. So interesting. Do you, do you ever look at the Daily Mail? Oh, yes. Uh, I look at the Daily Mail every day, uh, number one, because it covers Trump news. I'll remind your listeners that I'm not a Trump fan, right? Uh, but uh, you know, I, he he is someone who cannot be ignored because he's so influential in U.S. politics. He's a brilliant strategist. He's, uh, except for his uh, insistence that the that the election was stolen. I mean, all the other points he makes, I think, uh, touch a nerve with the American public, and, and the Daily Mail is the only newspaper, uh, maybe the New York Post too, but they're the only ones that give Trump coverage. Yeah. So uh, so I, I look at the Daily Mail for coverage. Uh, frankly, on, on spot news, like a condo collapse, for example, in Florida, uh, the Daily Mail generally is way out ahead. Right. 
of the American press. Yeah, it's got a lot of yellow journalism in there, a lot of <laughs> smut, the stuff that they cover that you usually don't find in, in top uh, newspapers. But irrespective, uh, they just do a great job of getting stuff out fast. So uh, I do like the Daily oh, I'm happy to get your confirmation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's Hollywood news. It's a lot of... Uh, Pictures of uh, women in bikinis, uh, you know, <laughs> stupid stuff like that. Uh, but, but again, on the on the other hand, their their, their political coverage is is I think pretty pretty point on. Right, absolutely. So back to Donald Trump. I don't know if you saw his. Uh delivery yesterday at CPAC in Dallas. It was just absolutely mesmerizing. He did a great job, and he didn't pull any punches. And to your point about uh, stealing the election, well, you know, we've got a lot of stuff that's going on right now that may indicate that, in fact, the election was stolen. He's got nothing to do with this, by the way. All these audits are being done in Maricopa County and Arizona audits, and now Pennsylvania's agreed to uh, start an audit. Uh, certainly in Georgia, the uh, judges uh, stopped any attempts to stop the audit in Georgia, and, of course, uh, Michigan and Wisconsin as well. So we may find out, we may have literal proof that the election was stolen. But you may. We may find out that it wasn't stolen. I, I don't think it was stolen. Uh, on the, uh, having said that, uh, I also read news from Texas. I consider Texas a separate country because it's so big and diverse. And, I mean, you look at their legislature is getting ready to vote on a uh, an election reform bill. And when you read the American mainstream press, uh, the story is they're restricting voting. Uh, but when you when you actually dig into what they're doing, uh, they're restricting the ability of vote harvesters to uh, go out and um, really uh, gather uh, gather Democrat votes from from people who are probably uh, unable to read in some cases, but I mean who are, are so disconnected from the. Uh, political system that they can be easily misled you yeah. know they can be steered <clears throat> by these vote gatherers to cast their ballots for one party or the other uh but the uh, you know the the press covering this story is so biased it's 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 labeled in the headlines and in the leads as voter restrictions yeah i mean Kamala harris made the comment that uh, people who live in rural areas won't be able to get a photocopy of their driver's license <laughs> Jeez, they, they come up with the stupidest stuff uh, just unbelievable reasons why we shouldn't have photo IDs and uh, people in order to vote. So, uh, you know, the this uh, what's it HS one uh, the uh, the uh, voting law uh, is uh, it's has no chance of passing at this point. Thank goodness. And uh, what do you think's happening with all the rest of this agenda? By the way, before I let you go, uh, the rest of well, I'm you know the midterms. I mean, I mean. History favors the uh, Republicans to capture both houses in the midterms, but it, it's not a slam dunk. And uh, uh, the swing states in the next election for the Republicans, Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, perhaps, Wisconsin, uh, I think you're going to see uh, Trump activity in those states. I really think the Republicans are going to badly damage the Democrats in the midterm. And I might be projecting myself onto the public, but I think the public is really disgusted uh, with a breakdown in law and order engineered by the uh, Democrats yeah. with their defund the police. I think the public is disgusted with the border crisis, which has been exacerbated under Biden. 
and the economy is going, you know, gas prices are going through the roof uh, in large part because of Biden's anti-petroleum fracking stance. Uh, that's a tax on your average American. Every time they, they have to go to work or take the kids someplace, uh, they're getting creamed at the uh, gas pumps yeah, the gas pump, prices. Absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, you know, Biden is really engineering a Republican takeover of the House and Senate yeah. in 2022, yeah. in, in my opinion. Jim McTague, again, author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. It, it's great to uh, talk to one of the top broadcasters uh, that I've ever met. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much, Jim. That's so nice. All right. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, uh, tomorrow's show, we'll visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Of course, my wife, Linda, will be joining us as well. Uh, I always appreciate hearing your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>